All right, biohackers, who doesn't love a yummy, creamy whey protein shake? Oh, it is such a treat. And I really love it as a meal replacement, post-workout recovery, maybe even a midday snack. So this is why I have to tell you about Puri Protein Powder. I absolutely love the bourbon vanilla flavor and the chocolate, but I think I got to go with the, the vanilla as my favorite. So it's smooth, it's delicious. And you know what else? It's pretty awesome that the flavors come from real natural ingredients like the bourbon vanilla seeds from Madagascar. And let's talk about quality because there's a lot of junk whey protein on the market that I would not recommend. So the Puree whey protein, it comes from pasture-raised cow's milk with no hormones, no GMOs, and no pesticides. This is because Puree's mission has always been to be the best at offering pure, clean, and superior products that, that support health and well-being. And what I think truly sets them apart is that they are fully transparent with their product testing. Every batch is third-party tested against more than 200 contaminants and certified clean by the Clean Label Projects. Not all brands can say this. Plus, each product contains a QR code so you can personally scan it and review the test results at home. I know you're excited to try it out. So what you're going to do is head on over to puri.com slash biohackerbabes. That's P-U-O-R-I.com slash biohackerbabes. And then make sure you use promo code biohackerbabes at checkout to save 20%. All right, let's get back to the show. We're digging deep and asking the questions we need to ask. Years of stress and not just emotional. I was depleting my body. I was malnourished. I'm working out like crazy. I'm eating all these healthy foods. How could I not be well. We have to get back to the basics. We can change the way our genes are expressed. Anyone that wants to improve their health or upgrade their health, they should be biohacking. My name is Renee. And I'm Lauren. We are the Biohacker Babes. We're sisters and we're joining forces to empower you to become your own biohacker and upgrade your life. The Biohacker Babes podcast aims to create insight into the body's natural healing abilities strengthen your intuition, and empower you with techniques and modalities to optimize your health and wellness. Because life is too short to not feel your best every single day. This podcast offers health, fitness, and nutritional information and is designed for educational purposes only. You should not rely on this information as a substitute for, nor does it replace professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. If you have any concerns or questions about your health, you should always consult with a physician or other healthcare professional. Thank you for joining us and welcome to the show. Welcome to episode 35 of the Biohacker Babes. I am Lauren. I'm here with my sister, Renee. Hey, guys. We have a special guest today. His name is Sage Raider. He is the breathwork guy. I cannot wait to introduce all of you to him. Um, I met him at Hacked Fitness we did an amazing breathwork session last week at Hacked. He's going to tell you all about his magic. But quick bio for you here. Sage Raider is a breathworker, recording artist, producer, violinist, published poet, and biohacker. He's been featured on BBC, PBS, ITV UK, Sirius XM, and a competition for the Grand Jury Prize at the Sundance Film Festival. After a devastating workplace injury landed him in bed for more than a year, Sage used breathwork biohacking and epigenetics of belief to lose 130 pounds, rebuild his brain and body at the cellular level, and thrive with severe chronic pain for years without opioids. Studying with the world's foremost breath master, Dan Brule, Sage is a weaving of tapestry of breath, music, and deep mind work to create an entirely new form of breath work deeply rooted at the nexus of science and spirituality. He draws phenomenal inspiration and power from his vast experience, thriving with blinding physical sensation to create powerful, potent transformation in everyone he breathes. Sage has the privilege of working one-on-one -on -one with celebrities, doctors, and CEOs in NYC, as well as first responders, local politicians, and people in chronic pain in Appalachia. His mission is to generate and promote a lifestyle of breath-based wellness to relieve the pain epidemic driving the opioid epidemic. Sage's personal healing journey is very compelling and inspiring. He's a living example of how we can use the breath to take control of our lives. Sage is a full-on student of life who walks his talk. I've witnessed him commit to the hard road necessary to become a master in his own right. 
His willingness to go to any lengths to tune his body, mind, and spirit to the highest possible state is unrivaled. I encourage anyone who is ready to move to the next level in their own personal healing or professional practice to breathe with Sage. And that is Dan Brule, best-selling author of Just Breathe. Welcome. Hey. Welcome. How are you? What's up, ladies? <laughs> Welcome to the Biohacker Babes. That is quite an intro, and that is 1,000% correct about you. Your energy is amazing. So Thank you. Tell us how you're doing and start anywhere. We have, we have so much to talk about today, but I want you to just with us. I'm doing great. It's really good to be here. Thank you so much. I'm really excited about breath. And that sounds like a ridiculous thing to say on its face over and over. I never stop laughing. I'm so excited about breath. But if you think about it, there's nothing else. We can live a long time, relatively, without food or water. We can't live so long without our breath. So we begin to see in the hierarchical order of things how important breath really is. So I'm here today to talk about that. Yeah. How long can we go without breathing? Um, you know, I the, the world record currently is 22 plus minutes or so um, held by Stig Severinsen. There's somebody I know that's right on his tail and may or may not have beaten it. It's 22 plus or so. And there's a lot that goes into getting that record. But sure. that is the current world record without brain damage. Dan tells a story of a young guy who fell into the bay in Boston and was out for nine plus minutes. And they found him and he was fine. Yeah. So depending on how healthy you are already, you can go a few minutes, but then you really start to suffer. What would you say is the low end of the spectrum for, let's just say, holding one's breath? It's not good. After a couple of seconds, what happens when we hold our breath? Because we usually hold with a full lung. So we're somewhere halfway to 50 to 100% full. And we start to hold high in the top third of the lungs, high and tight. And we hold our breath there. And what we're doing is we are signaling our sympathetic nervous system that there is an emergency, that we might be dying, and that fight or flight is absolutely the state we need to be in when we hold our breath at the top like that. That is an incredibly difficult and challenging place for our nervous system to navigate life. And yet, most of us end up holding our breath. And I would challenge any listener, when you catch yourself, not if, but when you catch yourself holding your breath, just know this and ask yourself, what am I giving the power to take away my breath? Like, to what am I giving the power to stop the most vital part of my life? I'm breathing really deeply right now. <laughs> I know, I've taken a couple deep breaths already. <laughs> yeah, so, so I would love to talk about this like later on in the session, but I did a breath work session with Sage last week and I've never been able to hold my breath that long. Like, I think I'm kind of in tune with my breath. It marries my like, my personal training practice and my own fitness stuff. I think I held my breath for like two and a half minutes Yeah, you were with in the you. two and a half. It was 45. crazy. Wow. Like, and when I started breathing again, it wasn't, I wasn't gasping for air. I was like, well, I guess I'll breathe again. It was incredibly elegant and graceful. So that's actually one of the things that I look for when people stop breathing. It happens fairly regularly during the breath session in the school that I'm studying in, rebirthing, um, among many others, but that's a primary baseline methodology for Dan Brule's system, um, and I'm learning with him. It's really kind of interesting. Um, birth trauma is what they call it. So people experience different forms of birth trauma that are stored in our system at the very earliest moments of our very being alive, our entry into this world. And so birth trauma takes over, and people will simply stop breathing entirely. And for a number of other reasons as well. But I noticed when you stop breathing, the first thing I, I look for now is how do they start? How does mm -hmm. the person start back up breathing? And so I noticed that you breathe very elegantly. You were a very graceful re-entry. There was no panic. It wasn't a gasp for breath and coming out in an emergent way. It's very, very, very relaxed, very graceful. But yeah, you went under for a little while. And that was an intentional breath hold. You didn't just stop breathing. You Correct. Stopped breathing intentionally, and then you went away. Sure. You just sort of floated away, lost track of time. Completely. That's, that's actually what we call frozen. That's a transient hypofrontalism, a non-ordinary state of consciousness that you enter very quickly with the breath. And that's a hot topic right now in biohacking and beyond performance, how to get into flow. Right. Yeah. Peter Litchfield, the top doctor in this sort of field, has been doing it three, three, three decades, three and a half decades, 35 years. His whole thing is we change our anatomy and physiology within two breaths. 
he runs a two-year program for MDs. So already really smart medical doctors take a two-year program with this guy and teaches them all kinds of really advanced stuff. He says within two breaths, we're changing brain chemistry. So we can enter flow state. We can change the state we're in very quickly. We can regulate the autonomic nervous system. We can bring incredible health benefits. Wim Hof has done a phenomenal job at advertising this and getting more people than anyone maybe ever in the history of breathing to pay attention to breathing styles. That's the whole thing is you can literally change your anatomy, your physiology, your mental state very, very quickly on demand. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense when you think about someone can hyperventilate so quickly, right? I think people don't connect the breath work with how they feel, but anyone that's experienced a panic or anxiety attack, you see how quickly your breath changes everything in your body. So it's like, if you go the other way, and would you say for the breath hold, is this a parasympathetic state that you're in? It's sympathetic. So it actually, is still sympathetic. Okay. Yeah. At a breath hold, well, you'll, it's okay. This is where it gets complicated. So <laughs> inhale is generally thought to be activating of the sympathetic and it's widely thought and taught that the exhale is parasympathetic. What Brian McKenzie, who is sort of the nation's top expert in biochemical breath and its implications, he teaches a lot of special forces, endurance athletes. I think he worked with Laird and Gabby to create XPT. Mm-hmm. So Brian McKenzie's kind of a baller in that territory. And he's my mentor. I heard him say one time in a conversation that actually the exhale is inhibitory to sympathetic. So it's not actively parasympathetic. It's inhibitory to sympathetic. Mm-hmm. So a breath hold at the top for 10 seconds or so will actually activate parasympathetic. But at a certain point, as CO2 tolerance begins to rise, as I understand it, then you will begin to slowly, due to CO2 increase and oxygen hunger, begin to eventually drop out of parasympathetic and back into sympathetic. So short, shorter breath holds at the top as I understand it. Now, keeping in mind that I could always be wrong, and there might be a billion other breath people <laughs> that go, oh, no, you're wrong. Like, I, I deal mostly with the esoteric and more mystical, magical aspects of breath work, and I am rooted and grounded in enough science to make me probably dangerous and <laughs> sufficiently capable of explaining what I'm doing. But there are, I will just say this up front, there are so many other biochemical, biomechanical breath experts that I don't want to sit here on your podcast and speak definitively as though I would want to. I generally try to quote people smarter than me when it comes to the science because I've spent all of my time in practical application and in the, again, more esoteric spiritual aspects, the consciousness stuff. We can get into that. And that's actually where Joe Dispenza sits comfortably. He's done a great deal of work for me, actually, that I don't have to do. I'm tying it all in to the science. You want to get weird. You want to make massive transformation very quickly. You want to see something or experience something you've never seen. Come see me. Um, you know, and I'll back it up with enough science to make it real. But my heart for this is actually in the radical transformation of lives and the consciousness of people on a practical daily basis. I love the science and the data, but for people that are not as connected to that, how can we simplify and create value? Like, what is someone going to experience just after tuning into the breath or maybe learning some techniques? So that's actually a great question. Um, The first thing that you need to do if you're going to get into breath work is develop a relationship with your breath, which sounds ludicrous, and you need no science for that. And this is where I sit with my teacher, Dan Brulee, on the weird, wonderful, woo side of things. It takes no science to sit and go, huh, am I even breathing? It's the first question I ask people. How do you know you're breathing? How do you know? Like, what is an indicator? That, oh, yes, you're still alive, technically. And if you're breathing, there's more right with you than there is wrong with you. But how do you know you're breathing? So you begin to develop a relationship. That's the first step. Notice, where am I breathing? Am I breathing in my mouth? My nose breathing? Mouth breathing is incredibly unbeneficial. It's known to be, not only does it engage fight or flight, the sympathetic nervous system, on a far greater basis, it also really truly... It's okay. So back to Dr. Peter Litchfield. 65% of all ambulance calls in the United States are down to overbreathing, dysfunctional breathing patterns. Most of them are overbreathing. Whoa. If you're breathing, say that again. That's 60 to 65% of all ambulance calls in the United States are down to dysfunctional breathing. So you have a mental or emotional 
thought or construct. You breathe automatically because every thought has the corresponding physiological posture and breath patterns. So now you're breathing in a certain way based on a thought. That dysfunctional breath pattern based on emotion will become locked in as physiology. Hmm. When that becomes locked in as physiology, you develop symptomology. You then take that symptomology and you present to a medical professional who will take that presentation and probably prescribe for you. So hypertension, blood pressure, which is hypertension, high blood pressure, um, all kinds of, of really dysfunctional uh, emergent situations. Litchfield says that it's all down to dysfunctional breathing. Wow. So oh, that is a, if you're mouth breathing, you're over breathing, and there's a good chance you're rewiring physiology in a really unhelpful way. Nose breathing, incredibly powerful. It's incredibly potent, and it's known by ancient civilizations for millennia to, to be the way to breathe. Primitive civilizations will actually put the baby in such a way where the mouth stays shut so the baby is taught to breathe through the nose. So that's just ancient indigenous wisdom that's being backed up by guys like Brian McKenzie, who has a whole gear shifting system, power, speed, endurance, and the art of breath. And they talk about gear one, gear two, gear three, gear four, where you transition from nasal in and out to nasal in and out heavy, and then nasal in, mouth out, and then finally mouth in, mouth out. And there are times when you want to be able to breathe fully and powerfully through your mouth because you're simply going to need that volume of air. But truthfully, those times are actually far fewer than most of us know and think. So a great place to start is how do I know I'm breathing? Be conscious of your breathing. And then just start breathing in and out through your nose. And ironically, when, oh, well, I have a cold or I'm stuffed up, or people ironically say, oh, I can't breathe through my nose because. And well, it's the mouth breathing. If you try actually to breathe very slowly, very powerfully, again, the breath is so connected with the mind where we can't breathe well. We freak out. Mm -hmm. We get a panic response. Oh, I'm stuffed up. I can't breathe through my nose. Never mind. There's all the ambient room air you could ever possibly want. Just try the exercise. When you're stuffed up, breathe very slowly. Like that, very gently. Try taking in less air, not more. And eventually, your sinuses will clear. They just do. And that's as much to do with the energy that's found in the breath that the ancient Hindu traditions, they talk about prana, the Chinese talk about chi or ki. And so if we go with a little more Eastern model on this one, there's a certain amount of energy that's harvestable from each breath. And the nose and the turbinates in the nose actually becomes the way that we can most effectively harvest that energy that's found some kind of mystical substance. They call it prana, chi. It's in the air we breathe. And if you breathe in a very specific way, you can harvest that energy change your brain and body chemistry very, very quickly, reframe your life, reframe your situation, and ultimately reframe your physiology. So most people are not breathing efficiently. And Correct. why is that? Correct. Is it just modern stress life? Mm -hmm. well, or is it children, a teachable thing? That we're taught as children to sit down, don't do this, do do that. Children are seen, not heard. How do we become silent and quiet when we're children? When we want to be invisible, what do we do? We hold our breath. Mm. And we hold our breath every time someone makes us feel small. That's mm. cataloged in the breath. So breath is like blockchain. If mm. you think about it, every major emotional scar or event gets stored in our breath. And so we're not breathing functionally from a very young age. We're not taught. This stuff's not taught. Doctors don't even know this stuff. You can go to any hospital and ask them about breathing, and they'll send you to a respiratory physiologist who won't know this stuff really either. They'll put you on a machine. They'll measure everything. They'll give you some data. They'll give you all the science that they could possibly have access to. And they cannot tell you really, truly how to fix that. Mm -hmm. And most of them aren't even aware of and don't believe that there's a connection between breathing and anatomy or physiology and how that can be hardwired in through correct breathing. Mindful physiology is a real thing, and it starts with the breath. And that, and that was my whole story. Well, I don't know if you want to get into the, yes, the breath and my story, story and how I found this. But yeah, I almost want to throw away all the science stuff. Like, tell us how you first experienced this, and I want to hear about your experience with breath and pain specifically. Sure. So yeah, my mandate is this opioid crisis.
Texas, we are losing 72,000 people every year. It is a $560 billion addressable market in chronic pain in this country. That's what it costs our country every year. And we're wringing our hands. We're losing more people. Now they're taking the pills away. And there is nothing, nothing to replace it, really. They're dabbling a little bit, but there really isn't anything to replace it. So I know this because I broke my neck and back in a workplace accident, someone else's negligence. And it was on a Native American reservation, so there's zero chance that I was ever going to see compensation or be able to mm-hmm. file suit because that's a sovereign nation. So I've had to forgive and let go of all of that original injury. But that launched me on a course where I effectively got sat and sidelined um, really in the corner of the room, in the corner of my own life um, on workers' compensation, healthcare. I lost all my friends, the family. Everybody just kept moving on. And I was stuck there in bed with a fusion surgery. Um, the fixer, the doctor who fixed that repair that was botched said, I could have told you the day they did this surgery that it wasn't going to heal. And that implant, the science is owned by the manufacturer, and that doctor was paid to put that faulty implant in your body. That's a, wow. that's a garbage implant. So I got a garbage implant by a surgeon who'd been kicked out of the hospital on the East Coast where I ended up getting my surgery fixed. So he was out West in Santa Fe, did the surgery. It was a botched job. So I spent a year in bed with a piece of hardware I really didn't need in my neck, in my neck, rattling around loose. It took the other oh. surgeon three years later, an hour to pop it out. But I had three millimeters of travel between C5, C6. I spent a year in bed. I blew up to somewhere between 300 and 320. I was a big boy. I was a Walmart three or four X. Um, mm. And I just laid there by myself, hypoxic. I was on 240 milligrams of oxycodone, 80 milligrams of oxycontin, 30 milligrams of Valium, um, a couple of different doses of Xanaflex, uh, Amrix, which is also another muscle relaxer and flexural every day, plus the NSAIDs, you know, the Flexerol and the Flex, not Flexerol, um, the ibuprofen and diclofenac, which just ate away my stomach. So I spent a year on all those pills. I had pill journals. My stomach is just turning. <laughs> every day, wow. every day. And it stopped working. So I was in an increasing amount of pain and the pills weren't working. I was just in more and more pain. I wasn't exercising. I wasn't getting good PT. I was getting bargain basement, terrible care. Mm. I wouldn't sleep for four or five days at a time. So now you imagine no sleep, no oxygen, no breathing, no proper food. My wife was completely overwhelmed. All our friends and family moved on and I had a year to decide if I wanted to stay Towards the end of 2014, after a year in bed, I decided I didn't. And I started refusing food and water. My body just shut down. I wanted to die. I've discovered it's a lot harder to die than you think. (laughs) And so I was sent to a clinic that um, used a lot of the biohacking stuff that I use now. I breathe people out of Hack. We haven't brought in Hack Fitness yet, but I work out of a biohacking gym in Chelsea at the moment called Hack Fitness. And uh, a lot of the equipment that I was introduced to that they have that's used in the biohacking community for elite performers to get an extra second off their time or a pound on the bar, this was the stuff that was being used for me to reduce my inflammation, to detox me from all of the opioids, to get all of the ancillary junk out of my system, to begin to get my metabolism going, to oxygenate my cells because I was completely hypoxic. My mitochondria were like a 90-year-old deadbeat. Mitochondria, you know, they were not happy mitochondria at all. And so I was brought back to life using things like the Juvent micro impact, micro impact platform. It's incredible. Of all the vibe plates out there, the Juvent is like the Ferrari. It's the one with $50 million in research and development. Um, it's currently being used by a number of very elite, the NFL special operations, very elite folks. Stand on so that's thing. just a vibration plate for anyone else. It is, yeah. Even. So you stand on it, and in 20 minutes, you get the same amount of exercise as though you walk outside, safe, impact load in the woods, barefoot, for five hours. Grounding. So hmm. it's a cheat. You get five hours of exercise in 20 minutes. And since sitting is the new smoking, we now know how unhealthy that is for us every day. So it's sort of a cheat code. And it helps your insides exercise in a way that you can't exercise your outsides. So if you're like me, you got a rattling around implant, three millimeters of travel, you're 300 plus pounds and you haven't moved at all and you're in massive pain. Everything's inflamed and it's awful. Let's take all the cheats you can get. That's it. So that was a cheat. The other one was Livo 2 Altitude contrast, high oxygen, low oxygen. It basically completely flushed out my system, helped me detox the opioid stuff very, very quickly. 
Did that feel very traumatic? It did. This so whole experience intense, was horrific. Yeah. But it was, the, it was the breathing, especially. Yeah. And that's where I was introduced to breath. So those were just a couple of the modalities, and I bring them up because I'm currently still employing them hacked, and they're still available. If anyone's interested in listening to this, you can go to Hacked Fitness and check these pieces of equipment out. In fact, if you stick an MD at Hacked, it's a clinic. I mean, the same equipment yeah. that works for the most elite performers in the world worked for a really banged up dude. So that's how I came into biohacking. I came into biohacking and breathwork, not because I needed to crush it, because I was about to die. And I really needed a way to stay alive. Yeah. Uh So at the same time as I I was introduced to Myers cocktails and high-dose vitamin C IVs and glutathione, I've been taking glutathione. My, My body, just so you know, before all of this, I've had chronic inflammatory everything since I was a kid. And I was given a large dose of peyote as a baby. It was a six-week-old infant by psychedelic hippie parents. And so my whole body grew up in fight or flight. And as my amygdala was developing, I was given a dose of peyote that would put a normal adult on their ass for four days. Oh, wow. So my so brain... your neck and back. You were not even starting in a healthy... No, no. I haven't had a healthy emotional response since I was born. I mean, you know, imagine with a psychedelic amygdala like an Alex Gray painter. Mm everything lit up and crazy. I've had to do an enormous amount of work to have a normal, average, healthy emotional response to wit. And we'll come back to this later. Breathwork was the means and the mechanism by which I began to cement all of my mental and consciousness and psychological and emotional therapeutic work that I've done for years. I was able to really implement it and integrate it more deeply, more quickly. Back to the clinic. The doctor gave me all this equipment, some knowledge, taught me some basic breath work, some basic Kriya breath stuff, and then sent me home, good luck. And I was on my own. So I began to borrow money. The first thing I bought was the Juvent. Then I bought the Biomat, the amethyst crystals and the infrared. So before I could own a sauna, I was laying for 15 hours a day, breathing, listening to music, having emotional releases. I would cry for 20 minutes at a time, 30 minutes at a time, take a break, cry again. And I spent days, hours a day, days because I couldn't go anywhere, but the biomat helped the pain, the breath work helped the pain. And um, I can't really talk about cannabis because I live in a state where you get 20 years for an ounce of marijuana. So I can't tell, but I can say in states where I was in habitation, the doctors prescribed cannabis to me and it was incredibly helpful in my mm-hmm. uh, pain journey. I could not have done what I did without breath work, cannabis. And I don't talk about cannabis a lot, but I'm talking about it here because it's really important. And then right. the biology of belief. The epigenetics of belief, what I believe about a thing is more important than the actual thing because we release chemicals into our body based on what we're thinking. So you can release happy chems or cranky chems, right? Mm -hmm. Happy chems are when I'm thinking about the dog that loves me more than anything or a dear loved one, a hug or embrace from a friend. So I sat around and I thought thought about happy stuff and then I grieved all the sad stuff and I would read through it. And then I didn't go online and train myself according to anyone else's thing. I was in a bubble. I didn't have social media. I was by myself. I was so banged up. I was barely functional and severely brain damaged. And I thought I invented this entire thing. I thought I'd invented an entire system. And turns out I did. But then when I got back on social and I got a little more functional, I'm like, oh, snap. (laughs) There's a whole world out here full of people doing this. So I actually thought I had invented and was ready to bring to market something that was very specific. Breathe like this, think like this, listen to this, and think this. Mm-hmm. And you will get better. And based on my own experience and how well I had gotten, that was a true statement. Just before I was about to launch all of that, I had a YouTube channel. This was uh, I had a repair surgery. So I got the surgery done. The doctor said, yeah, this was a disaster. I'm sorry. This is awful. This guy butchered you. I can, I can fix it. it. Took him all of an hour to pop the implant out and sew me back. That's how poor the own job has been. I went three years without opioids. Not three, two years. Because the first year I was still on opioids. But I got off them. I went two more years until I got that surgery. And I used pulsed electromagnetic field, the EMF. I contacted Bob Dennis, the guy who was sort of who's credited with inventing it for NASA. And I learned everything you could about the EMF. PEMF was the primary technology that relieved my inflammation and pain relief. And I recovered from that repair surgery using nothing but PEMF, cannabis, my breath, my brain. And I only used, get this, for a surgery, 15 five milligram pills during my two-month recovery. Hmm. That's not a lot at all. 
that's what, 75 milligrams total of oxycodone. You could take that one day immediately post-op. But I wanted to show everybody, this is how you do it. So I documented the whole thing. It was incredibly painful, but I did it. Just as I was about to launch, the top integrative doctor in the country, being a rock star, not being a good doctor, totally was not supervising his nurse practitioner. And she had me shooting, shooting vasoactive intestinal peptide up my nose to clear something called Marcon's, multiple antibiotic-resistant coagulase-negative staph infection. I got a staph infection in my nose. They want to clear it. There's a protocol for that. She broke it. Oh. Told me she was going to break it. Told me it would be fine and that, you know, we'll be, we'll be cool. Didn't tell me. Yeah, I didn't tell me any of the details. The, the front desk didn't call me for my two-week follow-up. Nobody planned anything. So I'm shooting VIP up my nose without clearing the Marcon's against the actual protocol. It's right there in the Anyway, mm -hmm. I ended up in Reston Hospital back on morphine, six milligrams of morphine every two hours, two weeks. So here I am, the national pain without opioid guy. The week I'm about to launch, or the week before I'm about to launch my YouTube channel, 50 videos, a documentary called Oxymoron, all of that. Now I'm getting slammed with six milligrams of morphine every two hours. I laid, it was, I had a pancreatic lipase of 2,400 when I checked into the hospital. And I laid in an MRI that couldn't detect my breath or my heartbeat. For three and a half hours and kept shutting down, and I came really close to death. So there I was, back in the in the combine. My poor wife, and I, she was she was devastated. She was freaked out. I almost died, and I spent all of 2018 nearly dying, being told that I was fatal, that I was going to die, that pancreatitis would kill me, and that there was no cure for this. And at the very best, I might have a few years of life and I would develop pancreatic cancer and certainly die for that because people who have my condition, I now have that sort of Damocles hanging over my head if I choose to accept it. Biology of belief. If I choose to believe that I am fatal and it'll, my body and my pancreas will absolutely oblige me. And so I choose to believe that I'm totally whole and totally healed, totally fine. And I'm walking that healing out one breath at a time and I'm helping other people. So How do you do that? That's so. So you, I mean, you're incredible. You have that spirit within you. You can't shut it up, obviously. But for the obviously, I just keep talking. <laughs> How do you get people from where you were to where you are now? One breath at a time. Sounds really cliche, but if you're listening to this and you have a loved one or a friend who's in extreme chronic pain and the opioids have been taken away, I'm going to encourage you to reach out to me. Um, reach out to me at numanta.com. So it's a difficult name, and I'm trying to see if I want to change that. But P N E U. M-A-N-T-A, like pneumonia. We'll New, put it in the show notes. Numanta. And pneumanta is really because Greek, the Greek word for breath and spirit is the same. It's pneuma, P-N-E-U-M-A. And so with that name, I'm simply trying to tie the fact that breath and spirit are the exact same thing in every major world religion, every spiritual tradition over many, many, many thousands and thousands of years. And so there is a direct connection. Our obsession with science only goes so far we very quickly have to go to quantum field theory or something else if we want to scrape together some science around the magical, mystical properties that we just can't explain. We can deny them, or we can say, well, we can't explain them. Let's leverage them. We know it works. We don't know why it works or how it works, but we know it works. So the first thing you do is reach out to me, and I will, I will do what I can to help you. But you really need to begin to develop a relationship with your breath and your sensation. Stop calling it pain. Just stop. Stop calling it pain. First thing you go to a pain clinic, they're going to say, how's your pain today? You're rating your pain, my pain, my pain. You're owning that every mm -hmm. time. Pain, pain, pain. Just the word pain creates pain. Creates more pain. What if you said my Mildred? What if you named it after somebody that was ridiculous <laughs> or that you didn't like? <laughs> God, my Tina is really messing up today. You have to reframe I like it. Mildred. Well, You've got to literally yeah. reframe your sensation. And so if you develop a relationship with your sensation and you develop a relationship with your breath, you can then begin to visualize your breath and your sensation interplay. That's the core to the system that I was going. I still haven't put that course out there or developed it and haven't had a second since. But that was the design is, hey, here's how you think while you breathe. Because the brain and the breath, you can direct your breath. Remember our breath session? You directed your breath down into the belly, right? Yeah, you had me move it around a few times. It's my belly, lungs, throat. So how was that? Mm -hmm. When you realized that you could move your breath around your body with your brain, was that a realization? It was really powerful. Well, I, I never thought about it. So when you can do that, you can do that internally with your mind's eye as well as you can physiologically. So it's really a mental game. 
Mm-hmm. And this is where the consciousness aspect comes in. So if you're in pain, you need a consciousness overhaul, what I call a neuro makeover. You need to remake your brain and reframe how you're thinking. Because for some people, chronic pain sufferers, that pain is not going to go anywhere. But I got to tell you, the stuff I did with three millimeters of travel and the incredible pain I was in, I was on fire. My brain was on fire. I was out of my mind. But I was helping other people. I wasn't using opioids. And even though my life was tiny and small, and I kept going to places to ask for help. The doctors laughed at me. And when the top integrative doctor in the country, the guy's the head of integrative at GW, the guy's a monster. He's a dude. When he wrecks you at his clinic, when that clinic doesn't do their job, there's not a single doctor on the planet that's going to know what to do or how to fix it. So I found myself constantly on my own. And biohacking, for the record, biohacking saved my life and nearly killed me. Think about that. Yeah. Biohacking saved my life and this top biohacking clinic that does all the fancy functional medicine and literally owns patents and holds patents on the most advanced, beautiful stuff you can imagine. I'm a huge fan of his doctors. That was the difficult part. I'm like a fanboy of this guy and his clinic. But the lack of care, so it doesn't matter if you're going allopathic or integrative or completely Ayurvedic or something that's totally woo and out there. The care that's being administered in that modality is what matters. Biohacking is not the end of the world in terms of saving things. Like if biohacking is administered without appropriate care and caution and steps, I'm a great cautionary tale. Like I'm what happens. Sure. So what's the lesson there so we don't scare people away from experimentation? Like what is the fine line? Informed consent. I was not given any proper uh, documentation. I was not given an appropriate list of directions. Nothing was in writing. Like it was awful. Like, and my role in that, so this is my role. My role in that was to trust them. The nurse had said, you got to trust me. Guys like you never let me drive. You need to sit back and Mm -hmm. let me drive. And I let her and therefore did not stand up and say, you know what? I'm not entirely clear. I'm pretty sure, but could I get this in writing? Like there was none of that. And so my role in my own circumstance right now was that I failed to advocate for myself Mm -hmm. in real time. So so that we don't scare people off, you need to have informed consent. You need to know what you're doing. And I would say, go and educate yourself. Yeah. I failed to do that. I simply let the doctor drive and thought, okay, well, I'm in the best clinic in the country for this. It must be fine. And simply based on reputation alone, I took my hands off the wheel and I stopped doing what I had been doing for three years prior, which was driving the bus of my own healing to the destination of choice, which was survival and eventually full recovery, 90% recovery and thriving. So people need to be responsible. They need to do their own research. Yeah. And just very quickly going back to people in chronic pain, once you've developed a relationship with your breath, once you've learned to manage your sensation with your breath, and, and there are techniques and ways you can do it. They're different for everyone. I can't give you three breath tips and tricks. I could, but someone somewhere will try them and it will be contraindicated. For every indicated breath, there's someone somewhere who has a contraindication. And back to Litchfield. Litchfield says that it's absolutely irresponsible to breathe people in groups, more than one person at a time, because the breath is so specific and so particular. That's why I've got him on my team trying to solve for how I'm going to breathe large groups at one time. Because your I want to yeah, share. I want to go big with this thing. Yeah. And I want to help as many people in pain as possible. And I want to do it with the theater and lights and optics and razzle-dazzle, jazz hands, glitter and boas, <laughs> the whole thing. Um, because yes, that's how what can we, we do understand. that? That's what we understand in the West. You know, not everybody's going to go to a yoga studio with a gong and an abalone shell. I've had some great experiences in those kind of breath circles. But that's really an, in- an inhibitory factor for a lot of people. So I'm trying to pull it out of the yoga studio I want to take all the pranayama, all the qigong breath, all the stuff that's there, and I want to just put it in a new suit of clothes, bring it for the Western market. And so I've started Sunday Breath Church now. Um, Sunday Breath Church is in Brooklyn at a place called Physiologic. What's up to Rudy Gehrman? Shout out, Rudy. Physiologic is an incredible functional medicine clinic that's doing a lot of what that clinic that I told you that nearly killed me in Virginia was doing, but they're doing it responsibly. They're doing it slowly. They're doing it morally and ethically. In fact, it's probably one of the best execution I've seen of what we're talking about, integrating these biohacking principles with traditional functional medicine, integrative medicine, and physical therapy. They've got Pilates. It's extraordinary. 
So breathwork was a natural part of their desired community offering, doing a wellness thing. So making wellness sexy or entertaining and making entertainment healthy and actually beneficial. It is, is widely accessible. Yeah. Yeah. So people love to move. We got hip hop beats. We're working our way up to a, a, a gospel choir, but we got all four members of the band coming in for this next one. It's only the second one. We sold out the last one. We're on part of a sellout for this next one. In the next couple days. So it's really just going to be a full on extravaganza, but you come and you breathe rhythmically in a very specific way. And we're creating community. And at the end of it, at the beginning, people don't know each other. At the end of it, they're literal strangers. They're hugging and crying. They're sharing their life's experiences. There's something magical about when people get into the same place and they breathe the same place at the same time for the same reason. Hmm. They start to share the same thoughts. My teacher, similar to meditation. It is similar. It is similar. My teacher teaches the Navy SEALs and he takes those guys out and brings them to the team. They let them out in the wild. And he said, one guy turns their head and they all turn. They really do start to share the same thoughts. So my theory is, yes, there's a very, very exoteric, scientific, practical application for breathwork. There are people far better qualified than me to be doing that. They're doing that. I refer to them constantly, and I refer all of your listeners to Brian McKenzie, Belisa Branich, B-E-L-I-S-A-V-R-A-N-I-C-H. She's got a new book coming out March 10th. She is a baller. She and Brian McKenzie are partnered up on this thing called uh, HHP, the Human Health and Performance Foundation, and they are putting a lot of science behind breathwork. So Belisa Granich, Brian McKenzie, Dr. Peter Litchfield. Those three names will put you in very good stead if all you care about is science and practical breathing, mechanical steps for fitness, performance, everyday life, state control, flow state. If you want to cross that line and leverage consciousness and you really want the extra, that's where Dan Brule and others like him and myself, you know, I'm pioneering an entirely new thing off the back of his 45. So yeah, there's a, there's a lot of different ways you can go. And I forget. A lot of different about. levels. Oh my God. Yeah. No, it's, it's a rabbit hole. I literally, I'm sitting here. I know I sound kind of like an idiot at times. I at least I feel like I do because I'm like, I don't Absolutely know. Not. I don't know. I don't know. Go talk to this guy. Go talk to that guy. Because literally, the more I learn, I make space for other things and things get pushed out. And I'm like, wow, that other stuff will come up when it's necessary. But mm-hmm. often, and I fell into this trap too, this obsession with science and being able to quantify and box and have data around something before we'll even accept it really limits this beautiful consciousness aspect. Sure, you can't solidify forever and ever. But that's the breath, right? Breathe things in, let things go, breathe something else in, let it go. Try capturing your breath. It's impossible. I don't even know what that means. It's ethereal. <laughs> I mean, it, it's, it's like, oh, that makes me nervous. Right? Just, yeah. <sighs> My favorite part of every day, our first morning breath. Hmm. So I've used breath to overcome incredible, mind-blowing physical sensation. I encourage America to explore that thing too, because if we're, look, the, the health professionals, they're not able to help us. If we do not get in the driver's seat of our very own lives and begin to take responsibility for our own anatomy and physiology, for our own mental and emotional well being and our own spiritual health, there is no institution out there left that is going to successfully help us in that. And that's a sad statement. Because our institutions have always been where we've gone, but our institutions are crumbling. They're failing us miserably. And we're in a really interesting transition period where there's new stuff coming. And us, as we as biohackers, we can see it. We're sitting at the precipice of the next 20 years of medicine. But that changeover between when science becomes medicine is that painful 20-year period. Meanwhile, we're losing a lot of people every year with this stuff. So my job and this sort of fire under my butt is to begin to leverage and mobilize the biohacking community and with my part of it specifically with breathwork because breathwork and biohacking are inextricable it's the fastest hack into the nervous system we can talk about that in a second like how you hack into the nervous system with your yeah let's get into that science yeah but it's so powerful that we can really 
make a dent in this opioid thing, I believe, very quickly. If our fellow biohackers, we all put our heads together and we all look for ways to begin to democratize and get this to people who need it. I know it's expensive, prohibitively so. I know it's a very, very Caucasian primarily thing. It's a very white privileged world, biohacking. I really want to see that democratized. I really want to bust that open. And I feel like data is the way to do it. When people can pay with their own data, when there's a robust ecosystem of data that will allow them to come in with no money given, we can get that data. We can then parse and package, mine and refine it, give it back out to replicate some of these studies that we can't currently replicate. A lot of science is privately owned and we can't replicate it. What happens when we have the world's largest open source data set around opioids and chronic pain and we can begin to replicate those studies? Maybe even activate compassionate capitalism to come up with some goods and services that provide solutions to this massive problem mm -hmm. that we have. So that's kind of my goal is to lobby this community, to leverage all of this brain power, the smartest people on the planet in the biohacking community right now. How do we make a dent in the greatest existential crisis of our time using what we have? Well, what I've got is my breath. Got a bunch of biohacking buddies. And so I'm in New York now, just doing what I can, grinding and pushing, building Breath Church so that I can take it broad and hopefully raise the level of awareness en masse such that breath workers who might be struggling right now to find clients or to find a way of making a living without having to do a second job. Like, I'd like to raise the level so that everybody just gets flooded with opportunity because of the awareness that I'm trying to create. Yeah. And there is a, a lot more awareness just in the last year. And I don't know if there's yeah, any debate right. around this, but some other big breath workers out there, we talked about this last week. How would you respond to someone getting into breath work and not fully understanding or, you know, siding with one technique or a person that maybe is not hmm. trained? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> here's the thing. When you can take a weekend seminar and come out with a piece of paper that says that you're as qualified as a breath worker as my teacher has been doing it 45 years all day, every day. There's a problem. So what I'm working to do, and I'm fortunate because I'm in New York and because I'm at the nexus of many, 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 many breath schools, I'm pulling in the best and brightest minds that I know on the planet. Science minds and just experienced practical minds, people who have been doing this and breathed thousands, in my teacher's case, hundreds of thousands of people. Um, and I'm pulling them all together to bring sort of a resource pool together. I'm provisionally calling it Breath Lab. But right now, it's we're working on finding a fitness application and an entertainment education application for Breathwork. Because right now, there isn't a standard. There's just not a standard. You can sign an international Breathwork Foundation, the IBF. You can, you can sign a code of conduct. But the training, there's no standardized training. And if I want to breathe stadiums, which I do, 17,000 people, 18,000 people, 20, 30, 40, 50,000 people at a time, we're going to have to have a certain amount of trained, practically educated, really, really well-honed people because what's happening in these large group breathes right now, and there's a massive amount. The goop thing just went out. Everybody's talking about it. What's happening is there's no training for trauma there whatsoever. And that particular style releases incredible amounts of trauma. It's the first thing that thing does. It's incredibly powerful, that, that entire method that's on Goop right now. And those people are not trained in how to deal with trauma. So a lot of us end up cleaning up those messes because people end up in a Facebook group going, I don't know, I remember this horrible thing happened to me. Breathwork will release. It'll unpack your nervous system. You start doing that immediately. You start working with the brainstem. You do circular conscious connected breath first thing that's going to come up is anything that's been packed into your system that you've been trying to hide. Anything in the way of, of forward progress of your system growth. And then your system's going to do all it can to sabotage. It's going to get you yawning. It's going to get you tearing up. Your, your face, oh, my, my face is tingly. My hands are numb. There's all kinds of All stuff. the things that I experienced when I worked with him last week. Right. And that's your system. <laughs> I was yawning like crazy. My mouth, just everything. Interesting. Numb. Yeah, it the doesn't hands. want change. Yeah, the hands you get. So it's called tetany or the bends. You know, you get like pterodactyl. Yes, yeah, Renee knows about that. I wish yeah. we had a video on right yeah. now so you could see. Like, yes, I have these hands. Oh my gosh, those, those are, are Renee hands. Probably ten minutes. Yeah, that's that's blowing off all your CO two. 
Huh. You're changing your brain chemistry, affecting your nitrogen levels. Everything begins to change. And so very, very quickly, like Dr. Litchfield says, within two breaths, you can change your brain chemistry. So in one of these massive holotropic or rebirthing sessions, like people don't realize they're changing. They're affecting the ion channels, the calcium, potassium, sodium channels in your brain. I mean, it's, everything is changing. You're changing your physiology, massively altering your pH. Which, by the way, I just want to make a shout out for a very loose connection between science and the woo. pH is measure of a voltage in a liquid. That's actually what pH is. Mm-hmm. How in the heck are you changing the voltage of the interstitial fluid, your blood, your cellular fluid, all of that stuff, your cerebrospinal, everything, synovial fluid? How are you changing the pH, the electrical voltage of that with just your breath, if there's not something mystical and magical hidden inside that air that we're breathing? Mm. I don't know. We're definitely changing our (laughs) pH really, really quickly. pH is measure of voltage in a liquid. The great conversation with Dr. Jerry Tennant and Joe Mercola talking about this mm-hmm. whole thing. But if there's no special magical mystical property in the breath, how do we change our voltage in our body's liquids with just a couple of breaths? Yeah. Right? So you can hack in. You wanted to talk about the nervous system. You can hack in very, very quickly. Feeling anxiety. You can simply, if you know how to ujjayi breathe or yoga resistance breath, it's the most valuable breath I know. And it's only used in the yoga studio, sadly. It is the most underutilized, wasted breath pattern I've ever seen in my entire life. So my passion is to get Ujjayi out of the yoga studio because if you're in the middle of a work situation or crisis situation, and you can simply go to five seconds in, five seconds out, coherent, it's the heart math and Richard Garbar, or Mm -hmm. Pat Garbar and Richard Brown um, doing amazing work at the medical level, like MD and PhD, psychiatrist level work here in New York. But they talk about coherent breathing, five seconds in, five seconds out, creating a resonant field that's sympathetic with the the resonance that the heart uh, vibrates at already. So you compound the beneficial resonance of the heart with a five-second in, five-second out breath. If you can ujjayi that stuff, resistance breath, and then you can get even further, back of the throat, the sinus flaps, um, you even start using your bronchial muscles in your lungs to constrict on the inhale and on the exhale. That's a very powerful nervous system activator. Would you say that's something that anyone can start doing today? Because I do want to like wrap this up into a nice little package for people that can't come to breath church, can't work with you one on one. I'll give you one thing. That's a good entryway. Nope. The best one is that sigh of relief on the top one. So if you simply (sighs) inhale, first whistle lips, like you're sucking a piece of spaghetti through a straw. Would you try it with me? When you get to the top of that inhale, just dump it. Good. And you don't force it. So Let it go. Write it down. There's a beautiful little neurological trigger at the top of the inhale. If you only do one thing that I say this entire time, if you take one thing away, get this. The sigh of relief happens approximately every 12 minutes. It's designed, are defined as an inhale twice as long as a normal inhale, followed by an exhale where you simply dump it or drop the exhale. And we do it anyway. When mm-hmm. something nearly dangerous nearly happens, first thing we do when it's over. Yeah. Right? I find myself doing that randomly and whoever's next to me is like, are you okay? I'm like, right. I don't know. Just I know, I was going to say that. Up. Yeah, Ryan, my husband is always like, are you okay? I'm like, I didn't even yeah. hear it. Right, but you feel amazing after you do it. Yeah, it feels great. It's okay. so natural. I like, this. I like this to take away. So think about it. You're actually, what you guys just said, you're changing your breath to make other people happy. So you're designing your physiology around what makes everyone else. You're designing your own breath to please everyone else and everything else except your own physiology. Mm-hmm. That sigh of relief triggers your nervous system that it's safe. And when it's safe, you can relax. The nervous system's entire existence is a search for safety. Right. So if we can, for a moment, trigger our system, hey, it's cool, you can relax. We can build these little tiny immediate recovery loops these little tiny transition loops between the boardroom and the washroom, we can literally use this. And you sigh it out. You don't even need to do the big inhale first. Just try it for a second without even, with the lung you have in your lungs. You just sort of Shakespeareanly drop and you let yourself melt. It's very grounding. Yeah. Yeah. That breath, I do a number of times. And if you need, you can do five quick ones. That's good if you're already keyed up. 
-hmm. But that inhale and then simply dropping the exhale, that is my teacher's 45 years of breath mastery in like six words, (laughs) open and expand. That's on the inhale, relax and lift up. That's actually seven words, sorry. 45 years in seven words. Open and expand. Relax and let go. And you can do that over and over, tightening up the pauses at the top and the bottom. The pauses are where the control lives. So when you take away the control, which we love to have, Mm -hmm. as soon as we start to cry, we hold our breath. Why? So that we don't cry. Because as long as the breath is moving, energy is moving. As long as energy is moving, emotions are energy, they can flow. So you can cry, you can laugh, you can let it out. And so I get people breathing and they start screaming, they start yelling, they start crying, they start laughing. That's your nervous system. So if you want to hack into your nervous system, make a little space for peak performance, that single breath, the sigh of relief is the best thing that I can do. Amazing. Uh, we have just a couple of minutes, but I just wanted to tap into what we were talking about on the way here, fear and what's happening in this country right now and how breath can help with that. Yeah. Say a little bit about it without being too specific. Yeah. So we have a current health crisis going on and people are freaking out and I'm not going, I'm not licensed to have a medical opinion whatsoever. All I will say is as far as respiratory, anything goes, breathe in through your nose and out through your nose. If you need to sigh it out, sigh it out through your mouth. But nose breathing is a primary nature-given, evolution-mandated way of keeping pathogens and bacteria out of your system. I will also tell you that breathing more, not breathing less, is required. Don't be afraid. If we give in to fear, the first thing that happens with fear is that we constrict. Mm -hmm. And when we constrict, we stop the flow of energy. We tell our nervous system, our sympathetic nervous system, we might be dying. And our body goes, oh, crap, we might be dying. And, and then so that manifests. It registers, yeah. I want to just tell your listeners one more time, what you think about while you breathe is as important or more important than any specific scientific, biochemical, biomechanical breath technique I could teach you. Because your breath is going to program into your brain what you're thinking about. It's going to program it into the subconscious that does 90% of all the work, your subconscious. So thinking positively, thinking powerfully, taking time to do what seems ridiculous and doing affirmations and thinking about love, radiating feelings of love, imagining breathing into and from your heart space. There's a lot of science around this. This is all heart math. Mm -hmm. Dr. Patricia Gerbarg and David Brown, there's giants that I'm riding in on their shoulders on this stuff. But that's the thing that you want to do. Mindful physiology is the best biohack that I've found, and it's free using ambient movement. Mm -hmm. It's really awesome. If I can close out with just all of this talk about the power of your belief. I just watched the movie, The Farewell. I don't know if you have seen that. It's based on a true story. And of course, there's so many stories like this in the world, but where a family member gets diagnosed with a terminal illness and they don't tell that family member. And then they end up living for years and years. Hmm. That is just so powerful to me. What, like you said, what you tell your brain every day. Yeah. Amazing. We are the progenitors of our own healing and we need community. So if we can provide community, which is what Sunday Breath Church is all about, what we're building at Hack is all about, if we could provide community, we can actually fix the loneliness epidemic. Loneliness causes brain inflammation. That's just science. Also causes heart problems. It's like smoking a pack a day. It's terrible for you to be lonely and disconnected. We are over-networked and underconnected as a human race right now. Mm-hmm. And so if we can actually have real community and we can think positively of ourselves, of each other, even in times like this, when everything seems to be going a little silent, but very sideways, mm-hmm. um, that's actually going to have more impact than all the supplements that we take out of fear as biohackers. Oh, I don't want to get wrinkled. Oh, I don't want to get old. Dumping pills. Yeah. And procedures and powders, potions and lotions and everything we can find. A good, healthy community, a decent sense of relationship with your breath and an ability to think powerfully and positively while you have an emotional release of some sort throughout your day and 
And building that in is going to do far more for you in your daily longevity and your well-being than just about anything. Amazing. Yeah. So much information. So <laughs> we're going to try to get all of these resources that you mentioned today. Um, and that's, yeah. And like Breath Church is going to build so quickly. So if you can't make it to Breath Church or you can't make it to CSH at Hacked or somewhere in New York, like you are going to see him at some point. Stadiums. We're gonna we're gonna go big, right? We are going big. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Go big. Come, or go to, home. come to Vegas, please. Oh my God, I would love to breathe Vegas. Are you kidding me? Ooh, we need it. I'll we be there it. next week. All right, Absolutely. you said it. it's gonna happen. All right, John Sage. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's so lovely to chat with you. Thank you, ladies. Thank you. This was a pleasure. Thanks everyone for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Love this episode of the Biohacker Babes podcast? Head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. We truly appreciate your support. Until then, happy biohacking. Happy biohacking.